Thank you for joining us today for the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. My name is George Mays, and I'm here with Jay Jones, and this is Text Driven Tuesday. Good morning. Good morning. How you doing today? Not bad. Yeah? Yep. Could have uh, slept in a little bit longer. It's that time of year. It's dark. Mm-hmm. Start for a long time. But <clears throat> duty calls George. The people need their text driven Tuesday. <laughs> you do it for the people? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, disappointed you telling me you haven't been watching any baseball. Yeah, I just haven't. No explanation. Just haven't been. Yeah. 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 It was a good game last night. Mm-hmm. Who are you? Who are you rooting for? Uh, Rangers. Yeah. Well, everybody's going to root against the Astros, right? <laughs> Everybody loves to hate the Astros. I mean, we've got we've got some people in our church that are rooting for the Astros. Okay. Yeah, but they're few and far between. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, I mean, between the between the Rangers and the Astros and the Diamondbacks and the Phillies, who who would you want to see um, win? I mean, I'd I'd like to see the Rangers. Maybe Philly. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, people love to hate the Astros for the same reason they hate the Yankees because they're usually good. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're always good historically, but you add in the cheating scandal. You know, yeah, it just amplifies. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> but they've obviously shown they can win <laughs> yeah. without it, right? Or invented other ways. Who knows? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's all. That's all. it's like yeah. a it's like a thing, right? In baseball, like everybody's trying to steal each other's signs. <laughs> right. They're gonna figure. That's part out. of the game. They're right? gonna figure out a way to yeah, do it. That's... They have pitch com. They're gonna they're gonna like create a try to create a way to hack the pitch com. Yeah. You know they will. <laughs> yeah. It's just part of the game. Yeah. Just, just is. let them. Just yeah. let just. Just let them. I mean, it's, it's entertaining. It's entertaining to, to watch them find new ways to cheat and new ways to yeah prevent, <laughs> prevent the other team from cheating. Yeah, it's like chess. Are you? We do this. Are you saying that you cheat? Can you at, counter are you, it? Are you saying that you cheat at chess, Jay? Well, I'm just I'm saying it's anymore. a tactical maneuver. Yeah. You can't really That's cheat right. at chess, though, right? You can see each move. So. Yeah. Yeah. Got a video for you today, Jay. You follow the Holy Nope guy? Mm-hmm. He's pretty funny. Yeah, he is pretty good. Well, yeah, he had a video last week that I held on to that I thought was pretty funny. I thought we could uh, play it on here. All right. Since we haven't it. since we haven't had a haven't had a uh, free for all in a while, so yeah. been been holding on to this one. You remember? Uh, I mean, this this is a. If you're not following Holy Nope on social media, you need to go do it <laughs> right now. You find some pretty funny videos. This is a this is a pretty old video. I went. Um, I was I was wondering if this was real, 
uh, it seems it seems like it's real. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went and found the, the 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 full video on YouTube. It's ten minutes where I would show the whole uh, the whole video because it's pretty funny. This guy calls himself the third eagle of the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, but this is a, an old video. This is after uh, Obama was elected the second time, so it's it's pretty old. But uh, you remember the song Gangnam Style? Yes. Okay. That's, really that's, really a, that's, a, that's the only background you need, Jay. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, you want to turn uh, turn me uh, turn my volume up? All right, let's give it a shot. It's a beautiful day. Got my Bible. I'm ready to go. I believe this is a message from God Himself. This video reveals more about the Antichrist than we even find in the Bible. The three most important words are open gagnum style. <laughs> no way. Put those into English. I mean, those are Korean. If you put those into English, I believe the words that we want to study are open gangland style. <laughs> now, this is very interesting. It's very interesting, the George. The Antichrist is revealing himself through this phrase. In the very beginning of this opening scene, we see an airplane flying through the heavens, pulling this banner, which says <laughs> Gangnam Style on it. Oh, First man. of all, the plane flying overhead, I believe, is a sign from God that he is determining the contents of this video. <laughs> he is going to reveal oh. the Antichrist. In the background, we see what looks like a beach. And I think the reason is because the Antichrist is prophesied to is come real? Up out of the sea. No way, bro. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, you can see why I was wondering if it was real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's so it is so outlandish. But I went I went and looked for this. There's a ten minute video of this guy. He calls himself the third eagle of the apocalypse. He claims that he's he's called the last uh, like three elections. Um and he believes that God, uh, he, I guess he has some videos of uh, God revealing uh, the future through sporting events. Uh, uh, but now he believes God is uh, revealing himself through uh, popular music. Uh, and in the video, he was uh, exploring uh, Gangnam Style mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Call Me Maybe. I didn't watch. I didn't watch wow. all of it. But yes, uh, that it seems unless this is like just. <laughs> A really, really dry humor. Uh, it seems like this guy's actually thinking he's that God's speaking through mm-hmm. Gagum style. Crazy. Takes all kinds. Well, well, what does he say? Who's the Antichrist? Did I you watch the whole I, video? I didn't get. I didn't get to all of it. Ah. No. All you got to do is is uh, you can go on the YouTube and uh, what did I what did I type in? I think I just typed in, yeah, Gangnam Style Bible Hidden Message, and it pops up. All right. So. <laughs> All righty, then. I just, thought I'd, I just thought I'd share that with you, Jay. Yeah. Interesting. I thought that was pretty good. Pretty good. That says it. So, Hey, uh, there's hidden messages everywhere if you just right. look hard enough. Yeah. All over the place. Yep. All right. Well, uh, we're not talking anymore about Gangnam Style. We're talking about Jonah going to Nineveh. Good transition. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Nine- N- but Nineveh was living Gangnam Style. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> Jonah found himself on a beach, just like. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the smooth transitions that people mm-hmm. have come to expect. Uh, yeah, so uh, we've got Jonah going to Nineveh. So you want to? I don't know. Get get us back into the story. Get us back there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, if you've been listening, the uh, story begins with God, uh, revelation of God, where the Lord comes to Jonah. So he kind of kicks this story in motion as he commissions a prophet, prophet of Israel, who's shown in the past to be faithful. But uh, this time, it's an interesting request. It's never really happened before in Israel to any prophet or, or sense that God sends a prophet not to his own people, but to the Ninevites, who were a terrible people, uh, mortal enemies of Israel, rising in power, soon to become the superpower of the region. Um, Jonah does the exact opposite of what God asked him to do. He flees from his presence, which really is more more of like getting away from God. It's not really mainly that, because he doesn't have bad theology about God, but he's refusing to to stand at his service. So he's refusing to be a prophet of God. He's he's retiring. He's going to retire in Spain. That's where he heads. So he finds a ship headed at Joppa, headed to Tarshish, hops on the ship, and uh, the first intervention we see of God is that he hurls a great storm upon the sea. It's supernatural in nature, and that's... Uh, discerned by these pagans, so he's running away from preaching to pagans, and he finds himself amongst pagans who are now urging him to pray to his God. They're they're desperate. Pray, they're praying to their gods. They say, you pray to your God. They don't know who's, whose sin has brought this upon them. Um, and Jonah doesn't answer. He doesn't even speak. So they cast lots, and the lot falls to Jonah. Uh, rather than repent and save everyone, Jonah says, throw me into the sea, kill me. Um, and then this, the sea will calm down for you. They don't want to do that. They have more compassion. These pagans have more compassion than the prophet of Israel. Um, so they pray to God and ask uh, for his uh, his death and not to be held not for not to be held accountable for their for his death. So then they hurl him in the sea. Sea calms down, and then these pagans become worshippers of God. You have to go back and check that out if you want more info on that. But it's a very awesome story. Then we picked up Jonah's drowning in the sea last week. That's where we were. It's going down into the depths. He's been going down the whole trip to the belly of Sheol itself, the belly of, the, of this great fish. But God intervenes on his behalf and rescues him. It's a divine rescue, salvation through judgment. And that all pointed us to Christ. We looked at that last time. Now fish vomits him out on the ground onto the beach. And that's where we pick up. And I mentioned this uh, this picture Last uh, last time, this is from a, a little kids book I found in my uh, at my house, and uh, this is I think how people usually picture Jonah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Everything's good to go. Like, oopsie, oops. Yeah. yeah, he looks pretty good for having spent the uh, three days and three nights in yeah. the in the belly of the fish. Did his hair get bleached red? Uh, uh, maybe. His hair is, that, is bleached. Is that not uh, is that not the the typical hair color for you got a happy an, whale for an Israelite? You got a happy happy whale in the background. Uh-huh. Yeah. You got a happy crab and happy Jonah. I don't know that Jonah's ever happy in this. Book, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think that that fish, the great fish, the sea monster, maybe. I don't think he's too happy. Probably. 
<laughs> Vomit. He vomits him out. Yeah. Well, yeah. it looks like uh, it looks like he probably got spit out the blowhole in this uh, in this story in this, this little story. story. Yeah. yeah. That still probably would be pretty gross. Anyway, that's uh, that's how people usually remember the story. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just from kids. Same that's with right. Noah's Ark. You go into a kid's, you know, any any nursery in a in a church, you probably have a picture of the Ark with all the smiling animals, and you just don't get the realistic uh, people uh, scrambling <laughs> to get away from the flood and yeah. being crushed against the rocks. And yeah, uh, yeah, happy stories, <clears throat> right? Yeah. Realistic though. Mm. Realistic. Mm. Uh okay, so we've got uh we've got Jonah. He's been vomited out. Uh he's probably got some uh PTSD. He's probably gonna have nightmares the rest of his life. <laughs> <laughs> probably not going to uh, ever want to want to eat fish again. Yeah, probably not. Uh yeah, uh, maybe not going on any sea journeys. Yeah. For a while. Yeah. Um, but you um and we we talked about this. This uh, this had a, a big impact on our community group as we were talking about it um, yesterday. Is that you're right? We we know this story as Jonah and the well, but that's not even the most mm. miraculous event in the book. Yeah, but it seems like the way that we view salvation, we're more right. We're we're like the we're like the Israelites. Um, we're we're more impressed by this giant fish eating somebody than the conversion of hundreds of thousands of pagans. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I could have veered off very easily into like a topical sermon on conversion. Mm. Had to resist the urge at times. I don't really understand how you can, because of stories like this, that you can view salvation. As occurring any other way, uh, other than in a monergistic fashion, mm-hmm. you know, so that that's usually the term terminologists used. If you're not familiar with that term, theologians use that term, the monergism, to describe that salvation is solely the work of God and God God alone. Right? We talked about this a little bit last week, where we discussed the term salvation is of the Lord, mm-hmm. um, but it's solely of the Lord. We we can think it's a natural human tendency is to think, yes, salvation is of the Lord. He saves, but I must do this. Right. And perhaps uh, in the confines of safe America, in the Bible Belt, where people hear the gospel all the time, um, they, maybe they didn't grow up a pagan, worshiping other gods, we can see, okay, well, yes, we just need to present the gospel to people and people because you know they've grown up around Christianity they will see that this is of course who wouldn't want to be saved makes total sense so logically yes you know so all you all you really need to do is change your mind and we can change people's mind it's a lot of times how it's approached mm. right if i'm sharing the gospel with someone we think uh, well if i can convince them enough of the reason how this is reasonable how this makes the best sense of the world even um, if I can offer them eternal life, then this all makes sense. It all adds up. Somebody would then logically conclude, I need to become uh, a Christian. I need to follow Christ. Um, well, that can that plays itself out in our apologetics a lot. Mm-hmm. We are trying to convince people of, of these truths 
through science and probability and and uh, those are are helpful but that's not the gospel right those can help those can help people get to a Romans 1 uh, realization of what they're doing because mm-hmm. most people don't understand them, themselves I mean <clears throat> most Christians we don't even understand ourselves and our own hearts but before you're converted you definitely you know have all kinds of ways of, of deceiving yourself and then and once that deceit is taken hold long enough, it becomes your truth. Um, so we we can tear down some of those barriers, right, in apologetics to bring people to to see. Okay, my real objection is this: um, I don't want this to be true because that means that I'm accountable for my sin, right? So I suppress the truth. I'm suppressing the truth and unrighteousness exchange the truth of God for a lie, because the lie is better for my conscience. Um, so we can assist people to get to that point where we can... Br- but it's got to come to that point, right? Yeah. The reality is you know God is real, and you're suppressing the truth because you, you love sin. Mm-hmm. You don't love God. Right. But that still can't bring someone to conversion. Can't do it. Yeah. It can't It can't bring the person. It can't, it can't cross from death to life. And so um, it's easy for us to kind of fall into that understanding that if we do everything right, present the gospel just right, people will convert. Um, And we also pridefully hold out a minuscule, like, you know, if the ocean, all the sands of the sea are our salvation, and they're thrown onto a scale, we like to think that there was a grain that we added and that and that grain, we would say, is our faith. Right. Right. Salvation comes by faith, justified by faith alone. Um, but the problem is, we can't generate. We can't even generate belief. We lack the ability to generate belief on our own. Um, that's clear all throughout Paul's writings. But here's a big story that makes that I think explicitly clear. Yeah. There's no way, like, we can talk about it when we get here in in the text, but how can you even come up with a human explanation for what occurred? Mm-hmm. You cannot. You right. can't. Yeah. You can't come up with a human explanation right. for what occurs at Nineveh. Yeah. It's impossible. Yeah. And that's why there's, uh, there's people that doubt that it happened. Right. Yeah, right. most people say it wasn't a real <laughs> conversion. Yeah. That's their answer. So I guess we could address that right okay. off the bat. Yeah. You know, they'll say... There's no way Nineveh believed God and converted because we know that within roughly 60 years, I believe is the time, mm-hmm. that they invade Israel. Right. And they destroy the pe- they destroy the nation, they carry the people off into captivity. And they're 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 wicked again. I mean, we we yeah. just we just flip over a few uh just just two two books later. Um, in our Old Testament is the the prophet Nahum, and he's writing an oracle concerning Nineveh, mm-hmm. and it's all about how God's wrath is going to come upon them because of their wickedness. Right. Um, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think if Sinclair Ferguson pointed this out, that that's not a valid objection, because in only a, a, a few generations, an entire nation can turn over. Yeah, I mean the 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 story of of Nineveh. It's it's not only the the story of God's grace in salvation, but it's also a, a warning that look how fast 
uh, a population, a civilization can just revert back. Right. And this is a warning for our culture, but it's also a warning for, I think, our church and for our own lives. Right. Like it, it doesn't take long. No, it doesn't. I mean, we can see that in our own, in our own nation, right? Um, our nation's turned over. I gave the example of like my grandma in her lifetime. She's 97. You know, when she was young, uh, America was predominantly a, we would call a Christian nation. Not to say that now, Jay. I would, everyone I, now I've been told that America was never a Christian nation. Uh, well, <laughs> here's how Christian it was. I mean, even if people weren't Christians, their entire framework of their morality was so governed by the truth of the Bible that they could not help but live out the morality of the Bible mm. and feel shame if they didn't. Right. The only way that can be true is if you can say that the uh, the ethics and the morality of the Christian God had so permeated the culture that we were living in a Christian nation. Whether they were passing like explicitly Christian laws or not, many of them were uh, back then, Jay, I've, I've also been told that's Christian nationalism, and it's really dangerous. Are you a Christian nationalist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's... <clears throat> yeah, it's, it, you're right. I mean, even even within, what, the last, I don't know, not even, it hasn't, it hasn't even been 10 years, has it, since uh, Obergefell? Yeah, that's, uh, look, when was that, 2015-ish, 16? Somewhere around 2015, there. 2015, so, so we're talking, we're talking... Uh, Less than a decade, yeah, yeah, legalizing same sex marriage to well, yeah, I mean, I mean it, everything that we're seeing nowadays, where you've got a guy winning, you know, woman of the year, right, awards, and right. Um, I mean, we, we've seen, we've seen the just the uh, the escalation of, oh, yeah. of wickedness uh-huh. just within 10 years, within 10, yeah, so. I don't the, the objection that objection doesn't really hold any weight for me as mm-hmm. I consider what happened what happened here I just go with what the text seems seems to be saying I think rather clearly um that the whole city re, uh, believes God repents um flees their wickedness um and it's a mass conversion and within two generations maybe three generations they've completely apostatized Everyone's dead, probably, that experienced this. They're probably all, all of them are probably dead. Uh, maybe some of the children are still alive. They're older. And then everyone else, though, that is, has any influence in the city, um, it's just a story to them. Mm. It's just a story that happened. Yeah. And they've gone back to their old ways. Right. So. Well, let's have you read the. We're in Jonah chapter 3. If you want to grab your Bible, we'll have uh, Jay read the entire chapter for us, and then we'll talk about it. All right. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published 
and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent, and turn from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented for the disaster that he had said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. All right, so we we come to this chapter. Um, Historical narrative is very easy for us to just read it as a story, and we just kind of gloss over all the details. We, We can see that this chapter is about Jonah preaching, and the people repent, mm-hmm. but we don't we don't spend a lot of time on just the the particulars of the story. But what you did is that you spent time on the particulars of the story, and and you showed that we can we can see some characteristics of God mm-hmm. in this story that it's really easy for us to take for granted. Right. Yeah. And it's really easy for us to just assume upon God. Uh huh. And this chapter reminds us of some things about God that we we just kind of grow um, cold to, mm-hmm. kind of lazy. Um, so you you have three characteristics of God that are revealed in the preaching of Jonah to the Ninevites. Uh huh. That's right. And the first one is that God is a God of second chances. Mm-hmm. And uh, this first. This first verse is so easy to just skip. Uh, I mean, you just read it, you just gloss over it. You don't really pay attention to the grace that's shown here, right? To Jonah, uh-huh. that the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, right? Right. So yeah, I took my uh, point. This first point um, from the one modification that is found here in verse 1, as opposed to uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Same same thing, right? It's mm. a mirror image. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, um, and except for here in Jonah 3, right, it's like the, it's a, a recommissioning. The same exact thing happens. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah, but this time his patronymic name is removed, and the words second time is put there. So that's what I wanted to emphasize in this section is this is this is Jonah given a second chance, right? Um, and if anyone didn't deserve a second chance, definitely was Jonah. He didn't he didn't complain and gripe to God. He didn't stay in Israel and like delay. You know, he did the exact opposite. Right. You know, it, this is like almost like. It's an outright defiance, outright defiance. Like you've, this is what I'm to do. I know, like, and and, and all the more egregious, right? Because I believe it's a direct commission, face to face, right, from God to him. Um, and he goes the exact opposite way. And even on the sea, when given a chance just to repent, he'd just rather die. And he tries to solidify his defiance by being thrown into the ocean, which is a sure death mm. without God's intervention. Mm-hmm. So he'd rather he'd rather die than obey. Um, 
He doesn't deserve a second chance. And yet that's exactly what we see he gets here. He, Jonah gets a second chance. He gets a second chance to be faithful to what God's told him to do. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. We we easily overlook this this fact. You know, it, I think we tend to think that God would he, he'll save us, but then if I mess up after I know him, right, he'll just move on. He'll move on. There's no there's no grace. There's no room for stumbling. Um, it's got to be perfect obedience, no weakness, no failings. Um, and if we don't, God will kind of just wash his hands of us, and we don't have fellowship with God anymore, and he won't, he won't use me again. Mm-hmm. He can't use me anymore because I've failed too many times. Yeah. We have that kind of this, this kind of understanding of God, mm-hmm. you know, because we project upon him our own weaknesses, I think. Yeah, right. So but God isn't like us. And that's really encouraging. It's... I don't know if we if we we're reading an ancient text and we're so far removed from these people that sometimes I think we forget they are real people. Right. Jonah was a real man. He had the same um you know weaknesses and sins and struggles that that we have. And it's encouraging to remember these these people are not like superheroes. I mean, we, we 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 can go back to like giants of the faith, like Abraham and Moses and David, and be reminded that these guys are not like sinless superheroes, right? Um, and they had they had sin. They they had major they had major failings in their lives, and the way that God pursues them, the way that He continues to to show them grace upon grace is really encouraging for us because yeah. we we've all been like Jonah uh-huh. we've all been like him yeah um you brought out the uh the disciples uh-huh in uh in the new, in the new testament i didn't know you were going to use that when i used peter as yeah. my uh, <laughs> my my example for the uh confession of sin kind of set it up perfect though but you you've got I mean, we're. I like Peter just because I, I feel like he's most of us. <laughs> he, he talks when he should be quiet. He thinks that he knows it all. He talks a big game. I'll never leave you. Right. He, these other guys will all leave. I'll never leave. I will die with you. And then he turns tail and runs mm-hmm. also, and he denies that he even knows Jesus to uh a servant girl. Right. Um, and yet Jesus still shows him grace. Mm-hmm. He still shows compassion to Peter and restores him to fellowship with him. Right. And that's, that's really encouraging. Yeah. Not, yeah. I mean, it's, it's really beyond that. I mean, I tried to draw the contrast between, I think what our tendency is like, and I brought up you know, my own tendency that if you're kind of close, if you're close to me, like Peter, like Peter's in Jesus' inner circle. You got the 12, then you got this inner circle. He's a close, so he's a close friend, right? So if you have a close friend and they betray you and they show their disloyalty to you, right? well, we can get our heads around forgiving somebody because we're called to be forgiving and forgive people. But we know, right, 
Because you only can have so many close friends in your life. Like, they're probably not going to be a close friend again. They're not going to be back in your inner circle. You can't, you, you, it'll be there. Like, I can't, I'm not going to trust them with the things that are most important to me. Um, but that's exactly what Jesus does with Peter. He entrusts him with, his, with the gospel, the responsibility of feeding his sheep, and f- for leading, his, leading in the church. For, and what can be more precious to Jesus than his church, his bride? Um, so it's remarkable, really, to think about how God does give people second chances, and he's very much different than we are. You know, we, uh, we, but we project upon him our own, our own human weaknesses in ways that uh, I think hinder our, our fellowship with God. Not hindered by him, right? Hindered by our own projections upon him. Right. Which is just, just unbelief. We don't believe that this is this is true. Right. <laughs> that, that we we I I think again we we read this and we say well the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time but you know will he do that for me? Will right. he do that for me? Yeah. Um. But I think that as we see, it's not just Jonah. Like I was saying, it's it's. I mean, you look at all these these uh, these historical figures throughout your Bible. And the way that God is gracious to them, even in the midst of massive failures, he doesn't throw he doesn't just throw them off. He doesn't just cast them off. Right. He, yeah. He continue I mean there's nothing great about Jonah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's not like all of God's plans are hinging on this one guy, so God's got to get him to Nineveh or God's plans will fall apart. Right. There are other prophets in Israel. Yeah, there are there are still believers in Israel, and God God can use any of them. Mm-hmm. Why does He do this? Why does He do this for Jonah? Well, I think you know what we're going to see as we come into next week. Jonah's a very he lives, he's a very hypocritical man, and so he he God has orchestrated this so that you see the picture of a man who has experienced uh, incredible grace mm-hmm. in his own life. Yeah, but he. I don't know how much I want to give away because it's kind of a surprise, right? But we'll see next week. That's not his view uh, toward other people. Yeah, uh, there's a there's he prays in chapter two and he prays in chapter four, and they're they're very different. They're meant they're I think they're meant to be <laughs> right contrasted. Right. Right. Yeah. So he doesn't seem concerned that others receive the same mm-hmm. grace from God that he's received. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, um, but God does show grace. He gives second chances. Yeah, um, I don't think that this should be used to um, presume upon God, because there are there are there are also other other figures in the Bible that don't get yeah. second chances, right? Yeah, Saul Saul does not get a second chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Judas, Judas is the he's the contrast to Peter. Mm-hmm. Right? They both they both betray and deny Jesus, mm-hmm. um, but only one comes back. Right, right, yeah. Um, that's because Jesus prays for Peter. Uh-huh. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't pray for Judas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Judas goes to destruction as it was written of him. Um, and so I, I think that it's good for us to to remember that there's the those that God has mercy on and those that he doesn't. And we shouldn't presume upon God's grace, 
but we can know when we sin that he is a gracious God. Right. right? Yeah. And not just gracious to where he'll just forgive you, because, I mean, if he just spit him out on the on the beach, well, he he's received grace, incredible grace, right? So not only is that available for us, but people, you know, if they have not been obedient to be used by God as they know that they could, uh, there's a second chance for not just to receive grace, but to become uh, someone who is actively obedient to God and bearing fruit, bearing the fruit of good works for God. That's also a grace. Mm-hmm. So not just the forgiveness, but being able to be used by God again. Yeah. Right. So. All right. So the word of Yahweh comes to Jonah the second time. Mm-hmm. And says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah goes. He go, yeah. <laughs> you think he you think he has any pause? <laughs> okay. Right. I get yeah. it. Yeah. I, I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you're going. Yeah. So yeah. All right. So God is a God of second chances. Uh God is the God of grace. Mm-hmm. Right. So Jonah arises, he goes to Nineveh. Yeah. Now, Nineveh, it, again, remind us, it's 500 and... It's like 500, r- roughly 500 miles, miles northeast, okay. yeah. About a month's journey. Okay. By, it would have been like probably donkey or camel. Okay. Um, I guess, I don't know if there were like carts he could ride in. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But long journey, for sure. I doubt yeah. he's going to walk the whole way there. Uh, though after, I guess perhaps, after being in a fish for three days and three yeah. nights, probably needs some, yeah. some recovery time. Yeah. Long journey, time even to think on the way there. So we don't consider that the time gap. There's time even for him to process what's happened to him. Right. And to think about what is about to happen. And think about all the possibilities that could happen. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, how, how right. could it not be on his mind? Uh-huh. How could it not be? Right. So, yeah. So he goes uh Nineveh or he goes to Nineveh. Mhm. And you know we have to remember this. This is not a great, great place. Um, I think a good kind of illustration because of what's going on in the times is they're they're like Hamas, but there's no one there to put them in check. Like they're they're violent and evil and right. wicked. They do the same things, mm-hmm. the same things that are even making like you know liberal CNN anchors blush um, and recoil. Um, and they can find no way to defend what has occurred uh, because it's so blatantly evil. It's like that, but there, there's literally no one to stop them, mm. and they're just grow, they're growing in power, right? And just so, yeah, they're incredibly evil, and they do evil things. And this is the people that he sent to go to. It's a huge city, three days, I guess, three days. It'll take you three days to walk across it. People debate all the time about what that is. Um, and they try to go historically. Well, you know, the inner city of Nineveh, the walled part, probably wasn't three days' journey. But that's re- this is referring to the region that surrounds the city. Um, so, you know, you'd have all the little outskirts, villages, and things that kind of were connected to Nineveh that all, were all around it. I, uh, I just would go with what the text says. It's a giant city. It would take you three days to walk across it. Yeah, I mean, Jonah was written... At that time, he would know better than us, right? Right. A lot yeah. of stuff has happened in the the last uh, what uh, two and a half 
thousand years. Right. Um, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And if it, and if it, even if it isn't, we would think, well, let's calculate, you know, how far can you walk, whatever in a day. But if you're in a big giant city, mm-hmm. like imagine going to New York city and saying, I'm going to see every borough in this city. Well, if you just walk straight across it, it wouldn't take you three days. But if you were to visit every borough, that's going to take you way more than three days. Mm-hmm. So possibly the same type of thing going on here. But he doesn't go, you know, he, he only go. he goes one day journey, meaning he's into the city almost halfway, we'll say. He's almost halfway in yeah. to the city, and he begins to call out and preaches his sermon, short sermon, uh, that the will that... What's recorded is short. Uh-huh. I believe it's five words in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. And he likely preached it several times. Um, debate. You know, there's debates. Was this the was this literally, did he preach five words? And, you know, people will say, well, look at his attitude in chapter 4. So it's likely he only did preach four words. Um, others will say, there's a li- it's likely that this is just summarizes his message, his sermon. And I think there is some merit to that because of what the king the king somehow knows that what they need to repent of is their violence. Well, it's it's interesting. Um, I I I probably take more of a well if it's not in the if it's not there it's you know it we're just assuming. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's what's interesting about his five word sermon is that there's no mention of repentance. Right. Which is if it's a summary of his, if it's a summary of his his message, right? Um, it's interesting that that the the message of repentance is missing from his words, right? Which I think may play into what happens in chapter four. Uh-huh. Yeah, like um, he he he's telling them that in forty days the city's going to be overthrown. But right, we know from chapter four that he he still is hoping that it he's hoping will happen. Right. <laughs> All right, <laughs> I did read I read one commentator who kind of looks at this a little a little closer, and the word overthrown can also it usually carries a negative con- connotation, like so Sodom and Gomorrah, same same word is used. I mean, like to be destroyed, yeah. utterly destroyed, but it can also serve as a double entendre. And means something like turned over, which carries more of an idea of repentance. So it could be translated both at the same time. In 40 days you will be destroyed, or in 40 days you will be made to repent. And we know from other places in the Scripture that God can can speak through the words of a person that they didn't intend. Right. Like Caiaphas. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be that Jonah means it one way, but God means it another right. way. Right. Right. Interesting. The uh, the Septuagint uh, says it only says three days. Mm. Oh, for real? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yet three days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. Which I don't. I don't know why the Septuagint would change the number. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah, it says three days. Yeah. I don't know. But that was interesting. Well, that gives him less time to wait outside and, uh, the city. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's that's kind of, that's the sermon. It there's not a lot there. Mm-hmm. Um, Jonah is not preaching his own words, though. Right? We know that. So he's going to say exactly what God has told him to say. 
And so that's that's what he preaches. Mm. And there, so there's other background stuff. I, what I don't want to do is to bring into the sermon things that can like undermine people's ability just like to read the Bible and see what it says. But mm-hmm. there are some interesting background materials uh, in this regard. One of which is that you know people they interacted, they did interact. And it is likely that other people have heard about this man of God who has been vomited out of a fish <laughs> before he arrives. Right. Well, I I I found John MacArthur's comments uh-huh. on this. Did you read? Did I didn't you read his comments. No. Um, he says that the name Nineveh is thought to have derived from Ninus, which would derive from Nimrod. And means the residence of Nimrod, or Nunu, I guess, uh, which we we see in Genesis chapter ten that Nimrod is the one who founded right Nineveh. Right, uh, Nunu, he says. By the way, is an Akkadian word which means fish. Mm. Uh, so maybe this was Fishtown, which would be an appropriate name. They worship the fish god Nanshe, the daughter of Ea, the fish goddess of fresh water. And they also worshiped the fish god Dagon, who had the head of a fish and the body of a man. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's interesting. I don't I don't I don't think that Jonah being swallowed by this great fish is just well, he's in water. What else is going to swallow him? Right. I think all of this is again reminding us of God's sovereignty over all of history. That even Jonah's chosen method of of getting away is fitting into what God's purpose is right. for him to be swallowed by a fish. And then get vomited out, and then go to a town that that worships fish gods. Right. Yeah. And uh, I think probably MacArthur, you'd mentioned to me before, but I also found it in another commentary that it's possible that he looks different. Like his physical appearance has been altered. Like his skin's bleached. Probably hair bleached, skin bleached. You got to think that there's some physical marks from being swallowed by a fish for three days. Right. Yeah. And so they. They not only possibly heard about that, but they know the Hebrew God is, that cultures interact. Right. Story of Sodom and Gomorrah, they probably know it. God, uh, Yahweh completely decimated two cities, wiped them off the face of the planet. Yeah. Um, and they know of the story of the Exodus. There's, there's no way any culture around Israel does not know of the story of the Exodus. Mm-hmm. I, I see that as impossibility. Right. Um, superpower of the world, Egypt is destroyed, mm-hmm. and their entire slave workforce is rescued. Yeah, so they they know that God has done this in the past. Also interesting. Again, don't bring this stuff into the sermon because I want people to see the miraculous. It's presented as a miraculous intervention of God on these people's behalf. Mm-hmm. But this, <clears throat> there is also it's also likely. That accompanying the preaching of Jonah, there may have been an eclipse. Okay. So you know you can go back. You can look at they right. know where everything is in, in space, and they know when all the eclipses occur and where the places to view them would be. Mm. We had an eclipse here. Yeah, was it Saturday? Saturday. Yep. Did you get to look at it? I did. They had a little eclipse classes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of weird, right? I, did, I didn't pull a Trump and just. Well, <laughs> and it wasn't even like a full and total. It was like eighty percent. Uh huh. Yeah. If you go outside during that time, though, the whole. At, the whole world looks weird. Oh yeah, it gets all all gloomy. Yeah, it's so strange. Mm-hmm. It looks like a bad dream outside. Yeah. So 
it's a possibility that when he's preaching, there's a, an eclipse going on. Because mm. you can back up, you can look at it, and there in Nineveh would be a place to observe an eclipse. Mm. During, like we don't know the year he was there, but we know roughly the years of his ministry. And so during the years of his ministry is also when, wouldn't you know it, an eclipse happened over in the place to view it would be there. Yeah. Um, not saying that, I mean, if God wanted us to know that, he would have told us. Right. Oh, and there was also, I, you know, right. the sun was darkened. <laughs> right. The preaching of, of Jonah was amplified. Yeah. I just found that to be interesting background material, mm-hmm. you know, podcast worthy, but right. not but not sermon worthy. Yeah. Because I think what the text is trying to get you to see is there is no natural explanation for what occurs to these people. Yeah. Because their response is to believe in God. Right. The people of Nineveh believed God. And some would say they just believed God. Um, that's just like saying they just believed in general. Oh, Yahweh could destroy us. You know. But it's really kind of used it's not really how that this this term this term and these words are used in the Hebrew Bible. They're really used more along the lines of uh like faith. Like faith. Like we would describe like I believe in Jesus. Like we would use that mm-hmm. term. Okay, so same type of term here that is used. Um it's like when Israel comes out of the Exodus, after they observe the miracles of God, the divine intervention of God, they literally, God is manifest among them. The fire, the pillar of fire, you know, it's the angel of the Lord at work, and then he rescues them by plagues and then destroys their, the armies of the Egyptians. Exodus uh, 14.31 says, Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians, so that the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. All right, so... That's how the term is used, it, and that's what happens to the Ninevites. Except for they don't have, they don't have all of the of the miracles and, and stuff that the mm. Israelites would have seen. They only get the preaching of one man, yeah. and the preaching becomes the experience where they experience the God of the Bible. That then invokes in them it brings out belief. That's I think how the text is is driving us to see it. Mm. And belief precedes their repentance, which is also interesting, right? They didn't go through all of these external showings of repentance. The first thing that happens is they believe. They believe God. Yeah. I think that's important for us to see. Hmm. And this is surprising if we if we stop to think about who the, the Ninevites are that uh god didn't do this to sodom and gomorrah right um he doesn't do this i mean there's there are a lot of enemies in israel's history Mm -hmm. and god doesn't doesn't do this for them right god doesn't send a prophet to the philistines and tell them to repent he sends a king that subdues them Right. Um, so when we remember who the Ninevites are and we remember that God doesn't, God could have just wiped them out without sending any kind of warning. Mm-hmm. I, I read um, that probably around this time there's some unrest. Right. There's, some, there's uh-huh. some other people groups that are 
threatening. Right. I, I think like the like the last king of mm-hmm. the of Assyria died or something, and there's right. there's some some unrest. Right. Uh, God could have just wiped them off the face of the planet, but he sends he sends somebody to to preach to them. Uh huh. Yeah, and that's kind of what I wanted to see the grace of God revealed in this passage, really in three ways, and that's the first one that he sends a preacher. Mm. He sends a preacher with his word. That to to hear the word of God from the preacher is the grace of God that's come to you, because mm. um, he doesn't have to do that. Right. People people all through history have been born and died and never heard of the right. name of Yahweh or Jesus. Right. Um. That could have been you. That could have been your life. Mm-hmm. You could have been born anywhere else, but just the fact that, that you get to hear the word of God is the grace of God. Well, there's there is a you know there's a position called inclusivism that teaches that even if you never hear of Jesus, God will save those who are sincere right. in worshiping a God. Sure, right? Yeah, I've, that's I've heard that, and that's that's just a again that's a projection. Like, so the, like we project upon God that God wouldn't give us second chances, right? We also can project upon God things he hasn't revealed about himself. So the Mayans never heard of Jesus, but since they were sincerely worshiping the sun god by cutting people's hearts out, right. God is still going to to save them, right? Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what people people would say. Right. <laughs> Based off of your sincerity of what, right. but it's right. not it's not what Romans 1 tells us. Right. Romans 1 tells us we sincerely Suppress the truth of God right. and exchange it for a lie, and then we can sincerely pursue that lie with all of our heart, mm-hmm. um, and that's being turned over by God. It's, so it's, it's the a, wrath it's, of God it's, revealed. It's only an explicit faith in the true God mm-hmm. that saves. Right. Right. Yeah, and so that's the first way. I mean, we can see, and we can easily overlook it. The preaching of God to them is grace. Mm. Um, but then you go beyond that, even the response, the response that they have, the belief in God itself is grace. And this really kind of goes against everything we know um, as Americans, I, I would say, American <laughs> American Christians. We don't believe that. Mm. We don't believe that um, belief is given as a gift. We think it's something that we just have. Well, we we downplay the effects of sin, mm-hmm. and we overestimate our abilities as moral creatures. We're we're so accustomed to the ultra call, mm-hmm. the um, you know the the make a decision time at the end of a service, right? And so all of the emphasis. For conversion has been put on that decision that you make, right? Now, Jesus is standing at the door; he's knocking, but you are able to make the the decision. Yeah, uh, I mean, you've heard the you know God God's cast his vote; the devil's cast his vote. You cast yes, the deciding vote, vote yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you can you can just look at the text and use common sense and see. Okay, it's not you cannot possibly explain this away with the human understanding that people have free will and 
the entire city at the same time decides to (laughs) repent of their sin and call out to a foreigner's God Mm -hmm. in their repentance. They believe in him. That's what the text says. They believe in Yahweh. They repent of their sin. Mm. Um, An equivalent today, the illustration that I gave, it would be like a Christian missionary, a preacher, would to go into the Gaza Strip, mm-hmm. right, and just go into the middle of the Gaza Strip, open his Bible, and begin to to preach that unless you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ, you will be destroyed by God. Right. What would happen today if someone did that? Unless God did something miraculous, they'd probably die. Yeah, yeah. That. In probably a horrific way. They probably they probably would be decapitated on the internet. Mm-hmm. That's what they would do. They would yeah. make a, an example of it. Right. Um, and I think we should view this situation exactly the same. Mm-hmm. That. And and maybe he thought about these things as he was as he was going there. I'm going to obey. So God has, has commanded me to do. I'm going to do it. He probably saw the skins hanging on the walls of the city as he yeah, walked right. in. So what come into the city? What's that flapping in the wind? Is that there? Is that a flag? <laughs> Oh no, it's human skin. <laughs> or the poles, the poles lining the road. Yeah. Let me walk by a thousand corpses that have been impaled mm-hmm. as I come into this great city. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's that collection over there? That's a mound of skulls. Yeah. Isn't that nice? Yeah. And <laughs> this is him. I mean, he unless God does something, he's a dead man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's done. Right. Um and but the miraculous does happen. Yeah, an entire an entire city believes mm-hmm. believes in God. Um. So there, you can kind of use some logic to get at that the supernatural nature of what's going on here. Yeah. But we but we can't forget that we're told more, and then we're told in the New Testament that belief is a gift of God. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many verses do you need? I mean, I could pull more. We could pull more. We could do a whole podcast on this, and I'm sure we have in the past. But Philippians one twenty nine is. Mm-hmm. You only need one verse to say something for, and then you've got it. I mean, sometimes right. sometimes you don't even need an explicit verse, but you can have the idea taught mm-hmm. in a variety of verses, like like the Trinity. People say the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but but the Trinity is in the Bible yeah. all over the place. Well, here we have a verse that explicitly says in Philippians one twenty nine that belief is a gift. And Paul says the Philippians has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him. But also suffer for his sake. So, I mean, the verse is really amazing right. uh, for two reasons. One, it tells us that belief is a gift. It's grace. That's the term that's used. It's been granted. That's the term for graced. God has set unmerited favor on you. He's granted you belief. Oh, by the way, is also granted for you to suffer for his sake, which is seen as you know a good thing, an, honor, an honorable thing. So there's that. I mean, you have all of the Gentiles converting in Acts 13, and Antioch and Pisidia, and Paul and Barnabas are preaching. The Jews reject the gospel. The Gentiles believe, and the reason they believe is because they were pointed to eternal life. So God gave them belief right. that he had withheld from others. Um, and so we should realize, if we believe in Jesus, that we didn't do that. You know, Obama said, you know, like, you didn't do—you remember that, where he's like, you didn't— they didn't do that. You didn't do that. Like they didn't build those roads or whatever. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. You remember that people uh, like giving him a super hard time about it. Well, the same thing. You believe upon Jesus Christ. Uh, you didn't do that. 
Right. Well, I mean, you do. You exercise saving faith, but the reason you do is because God graced you with that. Right. The Lord opens up Lydia's heart to right. believe what Paul is, is yes. preaching. Yes, per- perfect example. And, that, mm-hmm. and this is why um, and it's often described in the Bible as having uh, the blinders removed from your eyes. Mm-hmm. You're blind. Right. You're blind, but now you see. Yeah. You see well, that physically in Paul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Paul's conversion. Um, Jesus uses the the healing of the blind man to teach the same thing, right? Uh huh. Yeah, and so it's it's clear you you can't a blind person can't cause himself to see. Yeah, you can't then cause yourself to believe to see Christ. Mm-hmm. It's worthy of laying your life down for and following Him. And you also can't you can't cause yourself to be born again. That's Jesus's illustration. That's His go to that you must be born again. And I, you did not choose to conceive of yourself and cause yourself to be born into the world. Right. It's the whole point, but he applies it to spiritual rebirth, regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, you must be born again. What can you do for that? You can't. Yeah. There's nothing you can do. Right. So you have to, if you are going to be saved, you have to to call out for the God who shows grace and gives repentance and faith. Mm. So God grants them also repentance. That's kind of the that's the he sends a preacher, gives them grace, but he also gives repentance. And that repentance, it it really it flows from that belief. It manifests in itself in outer actions, fasting, putting on sackcloth. Um, this kind of ground grassroots movement makes its way to the king. The king hears the preaching of Jonah as well. The word comes to, to the king. He and there's a little chiasm in the text. is interesting. Um, if you look at that, in verse 6, he arose from his throne, so he stands up, he takes off his kingly clothes, then he covers himself with sackcloth, peasant's clothes, which is a symbol of mourning and repentance and humility, that he's been he, he's been humbled, and then he doesn't sit back on his throne, he sits down in ashes. Mm. So it's, it's, a, it's a literal dethroning. So the king of Nineveh gets dethroned. And he's not dethroned by an army at the gates or a siege or catapults. He's literally dethroned by the preaching of God's word. Mm. I, and I just love that section. Yeah. I love that. Right. Um, yeah. To, so it seems like um, on, on one side there are people that believe what the scripture says and they, they say everyone in the city was converted. But they kind of overlook how massive of a miracle that is. Mm-hmm. They just kind of assume, yeah, every everyone made this decision <laughs> to <laughs> to believe to right. believe Jonah's message. On the other on the other side, there's those who would say, no, this this is just like hyperbole. It didn't it didn't really happen this way. And both of them miss the heart of the book. Mm-hmm. Right, the center of the book is salvation is of the Lord. Right, and if that's true. That's the only thing that accounts for Jonah's, the success of Jonah's preaching. Right. What Jonah professes in his prayer in the fish, he experiences firsthand. He sees it. Uh-huh. A mass conversion of pagans. Right, that right. can't be explained any other way than yeah. salvation is of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're exactly right. Uh, the heart of the book kind of, we get this big giant illustration of that truth. Yeah. Um, that salvation is of the Lord. He grants, he, he gives the grace of the preacher, that is the one who sends his word, that you could hear the word of God, and then that you would believe the word of God, and then that you would repent. Mm-hmm. And all of those are given as the grace of God. 
Repentance is outright called a grace given by God in 2 Timothy 2, 25, right? Mm-hmm. That Timothy is to correct his opponents with gentleness, and God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. So repentance, even our repentance is in the hands of God. Uh, while we are definitely called to believe and we are called to exercise repentance, we may only truly exercise these if God shows mercy and sets his love upon us. And he does that to a whole city. And that, and, but the other, th- the other thing that we should remember is this comes about by the preaching of the word. One man with the preaching of God word, God's word topples an entire megacity. Absolutely amazing. Right. And we, we see this on both both sides of his prayer that Jonah doesn't preach, and yet God still saves these sailors. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, Jonah does preach, and the whole city is converted. Right. Because salvation is of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so God is a God of second chances. He's a God of grace. And finally, he's uh, a God of mercy. Mm-hmm. God is a God of mercy. That's right. Yeah. Uh, the king issues his decree as the text goes on. It goes out citywide, and then verse 9 says, Who knows God may turn and relent from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. But then verse 10 tells us that God did relent. God saw, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And so we, we are able to see here that God is a God of mercy. He, the king is ignorant. He doesn't know. He doesn't really know Yahweh. He hears the preaching and his response to that in a supernatural way. Mm-hmm. But he's ignorant of Yahweh's ways. Jonah's not, however. Right. As we'll see, he quotes Jonah's quoting from Moses uh, as mm-hmm. he talks to God in the next chapter. Right. And Jonah knows who God is, God is. They don't. So they have a. They, they don't know. Maybe. Right. And so they're they're just throwing out this hope. Maybe he's a merciful God. Mm. Maybe he'll show mercy, um, but we know that he is. We know that we already know that God is a merciful God, because mm-hmm. um, we have we have the whole Old Testament and we have the New Testament. And I think it's important for us to realize that this is that God's uh, God's heart's desire is not to judge and condemn people and pour as wrath out upon people, right? His His desire is that people would turn from their evil and that he would lavish them with mercy. In Ezekiel 33, 33 I, love, I love this verse, 33.1, says, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back for your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Now that is a similar message I would, I am reading between the lines that the other prophets are giving, Jonah's contemporaries are giving that type of message to Israel. They are not listening. They, they are not listening to the calls to repent of their evil and their wickedness, and they know that God is a God of mercy. They know he will relent. Right. And this, uh, this book is an indictment against Israel, mm. right? Because... Time after time after time, God sends prophets to Israel, and they don't repent. And Jonah is this one reluctant prophet, and we get five recorded words. Mm-hmm. 
and the whole city repents. Right. And what the king says in verse 9, who knows, God may turn and, and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Uh, Joel prophesied that God does this. Uh, Jeremiah explicitly says if a city repents, mm-hmm. God will relent of the disaster he's declared upon it. Um, and they, the Ninevites do it, but Israel won't. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Jeremiah preaches uh, to them a warning of destruction, mm-hmm. and for that he's he's like uh, under house arrest. Yeah. They at, throw him into a well at as one a, point. As a traitor. Uh-huh, yeah. They say he's he's treasonous. Yeah. For speaking the word of God to them, calling mm-hmm. them to repent. Yeah. Yeah. It is it's an amazing comparison to look at these two cultures and how they they responded to the word of God. But God was merciful to them. He did he did relent. Um I don't want to get too much into it because it's it can kind of take away, I think, from how we're to read and be impacted by God's word. We're not meant to come to the text and have a debate about open theism, right? But that's what <laughs> theologians do at this point. <laughs> that's what they do. Yeah. They ruin the whole story by talking about open theism. When I think you would never just read this and come to that conclusion. Right. I think it's fairly obvious God that, didn't know that the Ninevites would Right. Repent. He didn't know what they would do. Mm-hmm. So he told them if you do this, then you know, bad you're getting you're getting wrath. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, it's not my desire, because that's not my natural inclination uh, to destroy and it's to show mercy, but you know, we'll see what happens. Forty days. That's why I gave you forty days, because you know, um forty days is better than giving you one one day. Maybe in forty you'll repent. The Greek G- Jews only gave them three, so Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you uh God knows exactly what will happen. Yeah. He's known what would happen from the first time before he ever talked to Jonah. This has been part of God's plan. But the uh, the threat of judgment is the means that God uses to bring the Ninevites to repentance. I think that's important. I do find it to be interesting that we almost get like, you know, you get the carrot or the stick, right? Yeah. It's almost like the pagans got the carrot, Right, they what converts them is not really the manifestation of God's wrath, because they're, they're experiencing that. Yeah. What gets the pagan sailors is the revelation of God's grace and mercy toward them. Mm-hmm. They pray, "Don't hold us accountable for this man." They hurl him in the sea. The sea immediately calms, and they they are experiencing the grace of God on a perfectly still, calm sea. Mm-hmm. And that experience of the grace of God it, it converts them. And some people are like that. Yeah. Some people, however, are converted by the impending doom, the impending sense of doom and judgment of God. And that is absolutely true. We know that from just being in ministry for a short time. Some people become, rightly so, afraid of death, afraid of what will happen when they die, that they're under, and they have the sense that they're under the wrath of God. And then that brings them to call out to the only place that could save them from that, God himself. And then they experience the great the great mercy uh, of God as all of their worries and their sense of judgment are completely lifted off of them. So here in this case, it's the threat of God's judgment which brings people, awakens the people, mm. uh, and, and drives home the urgency that they repent and they believe God. Yeah. 
Uh, but God is a God of mercy. We see all, all of the things we see in this text are most clearly seen and amplified you know, in Jesus Christ. This, the, the preaching of the, of the Word of God is grace, right? How much more is the preaching of the Word of God by God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, right? That is so clearly seen in Jesus. I mean, he uses the example of the sign of Jonah in Luke with a little bit different twist on it, than he does in Matthew. In Matthew, it's more about going into the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, and so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. That's the only sign you're getting. It's like what he says to the Jews. Right. Right? Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Mm-hmm. But in Luke, he really comes at it as the angle that Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh. Mm-hmm. And as Jonah was a sign, the man of God preaching the Word of God, he was a sign to them, and they repented... Behold, someone greater than Jonah is here, and the the implication being, and you're you're not listening. Right, you're not listening to yeah. hit, to the one greater than Jonah. You're not listening to the, the to men my of, preaching. The men of Nineveh will rise up against this generation mm-hmm. because they repented at the preaching of the word. Right. Yeah, and, 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 and here comes the word in the flesh. Yeah, and so that's what I wanted everyone to hear. It clearly it, that were, that was sitting in there was that you you have you've heard the word of the one that is greater than Jonah. Mm. I mean, if you if you were in through the first three sermons, you've heard repeatedly about the one greater than Jonah. You've heard his gospel and you've heard his call. One greater than Jonah is here, and yet somehow, some way, you're still not listening. The right. men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment and condemn you, for you are, you're not listening to the call of God that's been given through Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. and it's come through his word. And all of the things that we see that are good about God, that the, the character and nature of God, his, his grace in sending a preacher, his grace in granting belief, his grace in, repent, in, in the repentance that he gives, and the mercy he shows, all of those are most fully seen in Jesus in the cross. So when we look at the cross, we can see the grace and the love of God, but we can also see the terrible wrath of God. Mm. And so we can clearly see, if I tell you God is a God of mercy, the place you need to look is at the cross, because at the cross you see that Jesus took the wrath of God so that God could be merciful to you, so that you could avert this, this wrath could be averted toward you. And that is actually not just a, some wish that God has, it's his heart's desire that you would see in Christ the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the wrath of God, and that that would bring you to the place of where you would believe. Yeah. And we don't have to guess like the king. <laughs> right. Perhaps perhaps God will forgive us. Yeah. Perhaps he'll show mercy. We can know that if we come to Christ, God will show us mercy. Mm. Yeah. Uh, uh, it struck me as you were uh, as we were talking about Luke 11 that um Jesus is another a witness to the actual conversion of the people of Nineveh when he says the the men of Nineveh will rise up against this this unbelieving generation mm-hmm. at the judgment i think that that i think he means it right like at the judgment here's going to be all the converted people of Nineveh who repented right against the unbelieving jewish people of Jesus's day who didn't repent right but jesus seems to assume that they actually were converted because he's not just calling upon the, the people of Israel to just have a, a mental assent to something. He wants them right. to actually believe. That's right. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Okay. Um, what, 
we could spend a lot of time on this. <laughs> okay, I thought we were done, George. <laughs> we're an hour fifteen I d- in. I don't. Th- I don't think we can end yet. I, th- right. I think that we have to at least give a cursory talk about this. Okay. What you got? Well, we've we've talked about God doesn't. He doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. Right. That his his inclination is to. Mm-hmm have grace and mercy and love he he wants to forgive and and uh restore mm-hmm. people to himself um but we've also talked about how salvation is of the lord right and that repentance and faith are a gift from god mm-hmm. and we've we've looked a little bit uh at the fact that this book is an indictment against israel that that Nineveh, the entire city, repents, while Israel doesn't repent. Right. Um, how do we reconcile those two? I mean, we're talking about God's sovereign election here. Mm-hmm. If God wanted to, he could grant the same repentance and faith to Israel right. that he, he grants to the Ninevites. Uh-huh. So why doesn't he? And how can the Israelites be held accountable for for not repenting when it's a gift from God? Mm-hmm. Again, this is something that we could talk we could you know, for for another hour on. Mm-hmm. But I think it's something that just will naturally arise out of this when we're talking about God. God doesn't desire the death of the wicked, but at the same time, He doesn't grant repentance and faith to everyone. Right. Yeah. Of course, that's the great mystery of the universe, right? Why there does we God, go. That's why, the answer. <laughs> why does God? Why does God save? Why does God save some and not others? Right? Uh, right. Why? Why do you? Why were you converted? You know, and maybe your sibling wasn't. You mm-hmm. had the exact same upbringing, right? Or why were you at you know at church with your friend? You heard the preaching of the gospel. You were converted. The your friend sitting right next to you didn't believe and still doesn't believe, mm. he's heard the same thing. Um, and the only answer really can be that it, it, it lies in the, the prerogative of God, the grace and the prerogative of God. And it still does not take away from the responsibility of people, though, however, to hear, mm. to hear and believe what God says. The problem always comes down to the, to the human, right? So if, if somebody hears the Word of God, like the Israelites were doing, they're not just hearing the word of God. They have they have the whole history, as Paul will say. You know, they have the prophets. They have the oracles of God. Uh, they have the covenant promises, and yet they remain in unbelief. So it's possible for someone to have all of those things and yet still reject reject the word of the Lord. Um, and that responsibility doesn't lie on God. We think it's God's responsibility, and He must overcome everyone's unbelief or he's not fair. Again, projecting upon God like our own humanity. Mm-hmm. Our ways are not as good and right and just as God's, but we think we think that we are. We think, oh, well, if God had the power to do that, he should do it to everybody. But really, we're looking at it backwards when we're thinking that we deserve we deserve to be saved. Right? We're thinking there are people that deserve to be saved, and we think about it from that angle. What we should think of is uh, no one deserves to be saved. 
No one deserves to have to be to have God set His love on you to overcome your unbelief and to give you repentance of faith. Nobody deserves that at all. And so, whenever God does do it, then we're able to see He didn't have to do that, but He did do it. He's gracious and merciful. Why didn't He do it to the Israelites? Well, there's a greater plan unfolding uh, for Israel, but that still doesn't alleviate their responsibility. Mm-hmm. Right there. They're engaged in idolatry, they've forsaken their God, and God didn't do that to them. God never causes people to sin. He never causes people to rebel. He never causes people to not believe. Um, that's all our own doing. And it's very clear because God, God's not keeping them from believing because he keeps sending prophet after prophet after prophet. He right. all all of the covenants and the promises and the mir- and all these signs and miracles he sent Christ to the to Israel. Mm-hmm. Um so he's he's not he's not saying no 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 no. Right. He's he's sending people so it, it the responsibility does continue to arise on Israel's side. They're they're the ones who are not believing. Right. Right. Um and there, there are even I think great, great links that God has gone to for the people of Israel. If you consider the possibility that God teaches through like history repeating itself, mm-hmm. patterns in history, not just patterns in typology that we see in the Bible, but patterns in the unfolding of history as a whole, you can really see in the story of of Jonah and the conversion of the Ninevites a way, a foreshadowing of when one greater than Jonah comes. Mm-hmm. And the people of God won't listen to him. Right. And then they are then judged by foreigners, mm. which is which is what's going to happen. Right. Right. Jonah's going to preach to foreigners. The Gentiles will believe. Israel has their own preachers, the other prophets. They will not believe. And then because of their unbelief, God judges them and carries them away and disperses them mm-hmm. out of their homeland. Right. The same exact same thing happens again. Mm-hmm. In Jesus's lifetime, right. but at a, on a greater magnitude, mm-hmm. and it's the greatest destruction and dispersion that they've ever, ever experienced. Yeah. Um, the Gentiles would believe; they would believe the preaching of Jesus through his apostles, mm-hmm. and and then eventually Israel was judged. And that's that's the pattern that Paul lays out in Romans chapter eleven: is that there's a partial hardening of of the Jewish people, only a remnant is believing. Mm-hmm. The gospel goes to the Gentiles in the hope. Paul's hope is that the Gentiles believing will make the unbelieving Jews jealous. Mm-hmm. They'll also believe. So right. it's it's God's it's God's mysterious way in which He's dealing with the nations. Uh-huh. And there's not really an answer to why, other than. That's how God wanted to do it. That's, right. that's that's how God has decreed that the gospel will go out and the nations will be blessed through through Christ. Right. Yeah. And we see it. We see it in the Book of Jonah already. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Well, I, I mean, that's that's something that we could talk about a lot more. I mean, books have been written on this. Uh, Piper has written the the book. Uh, what is it? Does God desire all to be saved? That, I don't know. That's the the little booklet that we have out on the in the welcome area. Mm-hmm. Um, so things to think about. Yeah, for as, sure. As, as you were preaching, I was just thinking this is something that people might have questions about, right? Yeah, um, well, because it's a there's, question there's God's there's God's love that is uh, it's clearly 
it's clearly seen throughout the scriptures, but there's also the mystery of his his sovereign will and his decree to yeah uh, only save I mean we're some we'll right? talk a little bit more about this I think next week when we talk about uh, we'll talk about God's God's love as revealed in the uh, conversion of the Ninevites mm. uh, it, as Jonah as kind of acts as a foil against that. Yeah, he's the exact opposite of God, in fact. Right, and then that's most clearly though seen when we come when it, when we come to the Gospels, mm. particularly the Gospels of John. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. Mm. That one line is like, man, it's like a, uh, it's like a, it's like a nuclear bomb. Yeah, God in the flesh, one who tabernacled with them in the wilderness. And then of course this that's all tied it's tied into John 3 316. Um for God so loved the world. And he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Mm. So we ought to be more 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 than it raises a question as to why did God not why does he not overcome everyone's unbelief? We should really stand in awe of the fact that uh, we all, like unbelieving Israel, have rejected God. Mm. And so if we find ourselves as believers, that's not what we deserve. That's not what we deserve. Right. Um, we deserve for God to pass us by. Mm-hmm. And, and, he did, and he doesn't. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. One more sermon? One more. All right. One more and that's Jonah it. chapter four and we'll be done. Okay. Well, yep. uh, good conversation. Thanks for uh, thanks for preaching. Thanks for doing all the hard work of studying this book. And uh, hopefully, it has been helpful for everyone uh, as we're seeing how this uh, this book it doesn't just tell the story of Jonah and a well. It speaks of God's mercy to uh, to undeserving sinners. Uh, if this has been helpful, please make sure to like, subscribe, and share. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.